Welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. The following message was previously recorded at the Garden Church in downtown Long Beach, California. Well, good morning. My name is Bill. I'm also one of the teaching pastors here, so I'm going to ask you to transition with me now for a few minutes into consideration of uh, the Word of God and particularly uh, focusing on transition from our conversation over the last few weeks on what it is that binds us and cripples us from participation in the, in the life of freedom and responsible liberty that Jesus invites us into. What gets in the way of that? And then how do we partner with the Holy Spirit in learning how to live the life that we're built for in the first place? So, so how do we make... How do we move out of fear and shame and guilt and self-destructive behaviors into a life of responsible freedom? That's kind of where we're going to be going uh, in the next uh, few weeks, and particularly uh, exploring the disciplines of the spiritual life, the practices, the behaviors, the exercises by which we can partner with the Holy Spirit to produce the life that we're built for in the first place. Does that sound good? That was a Darren question, so I thought I'd throw that in there. Throw that in there. Um, but before I do that, I just uh, in, in worship this morning and just in, in prayer just now, I just had a, a, a sense that somebody is dealing with, um, with really massive disappointment. Um, uh, in, in, and I'm thinking particularly in relationships, could be wrong on that side of it. Uh, but I want, before we go into the Word, just to take a couple of minutes and just pray for you. So if you guys don't mind, just bow your heads with me for a minute. If you're here like that and, and that sounds like you, you're just dealing with some pretty, um, and I'll, I'll use the language of, of crippling because that's the, the idea that I've got in my head. And I want to pray for you. It's, it's almost disabling right now uh, to deal with the disappointment that you've uh, experienced. So if you're here like that, um, can I ask you just to raise your hand real quick. Yeah, I want to pray for you. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, yeah. All right. Lord, um, thank you that you know us well enough to know um, uh, what's going on in our journeys. You know uh, who we are and, and what we're about. And so I pray uh, for our brothers and sisters who, um, whether it's news they've received or a hard conversation they've had or um, something else that's just really pretty devastating and they're kind of right on the edge of tears most of the time in the last few days. I just ask you, first of all, Lord, not to let that hurt turn to bitterness. Help it not to turn to self-destruction, because we find all kinds of ways of medicating our pains, especially relational pain. And I pray that you would give them courage to lean into that and let you do some deep plowing for deep sowing for new harvest. I ask this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So, whoa, it's darker in here, isn't it? <laughs> At my age, you always want to double-check reality because <laughs> you're not sure if people, everybody's just kind of fading, you know? Um, okay, so uh, we'll, be, uh, we'll be looking into a number of texts um, the reason we self-destruct at the end of the day is because Genesis 3 realities are our reality. Namely, we have disconnected ourselves 
from the source of our life, dependent relationship on God, and the outcome, no matter how well we live, no matter how well we live from that point of disconnection on, will be shame and fear and guilt and self-destructive behaviors as we try and medicate away from the fundamental connection. So, so the image I use, um, and, and I haven't used it for a long time, so I'm gonna haul it back out. Darren's not here, he always teases me when I use this. Our dependent relationship with God is first button, first hole stuff. If we start right, we will end right. If we start wrong, second button, first hole, first button, second hole, it does not matter how well we button thereafter, we will end up wrong. What we will end up with is shame and guilt and fear as the primary motivations of our lives rather than love and joy, which are rooted in dependent relationship on God. Okay? So it is not surprising when uh, we experiment with liberty only to discover we need dependence in order to fly free we need an anchor in order to be as free as we're actually built to be. It's not surprising that when we come to Jesus, he says, it's do-over time. We're going to go back to the beginning. We're going to re-anchor you in dependent relationship on God, and then we're going to teach you how to live with that responsible dependent relationship in such a way that the outcome of your life flowing from love and joy and acceptance and celebration of the wonder of the gift that God has given you in yourself is freedom and liberty and service and surrender and love and joy and peace. That's where we're going so we need to start with the restoration. So uh, it is no surprising then uh, that when we look at Matthew 11, there are tons of passages that we can look at for this. But the one that I'm going to look at is Matthew 11, where Jesus says, Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, who are worn out and worn down. By whatever system you have become that way, come to me and I will give you rest. You see what he's doing? He's reestablishing the foundational framework of our lives in rest, in love, in joy. Now, notice what happens. Jesus is knowing that even though the foundation is reestablished in rest, we still come with the muscle memory of shame. We still come with the muscle memory of fear. We still come with the muscle memory of self-destructive hatred. We still come with that muscle memory. We need to relearn our own lives and re-engage in practices. So look at what he says. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me because I am gentle and humble in heart and you will then find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. So what Jesus is saying here is that I will not give you rest so that you can self-destruct again. This is not a pit stop. This is not a roadside stop on the road to destruction where you can just pull in, get refreshed on your road to self-destruction. No, you're heading on the wrong road. This is not a turn off. This is a turn around. Come to me. 
I will give you rest, we'll go back to zero, we'll reestablish the connection that exists fundamentally between you and the Father, then pull out your notebook, because I want you to... Is it getting brighter? Okay. Who's back there? It's you. Ha ha. All right. So subtle. Okay. Anyway. Um, so so I'll, I'll give you rest, uh, and, 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 and we'll, 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 but you, now you need to learn how to do this differently because you have been, you've been swinging wrong. You have, your muscle memory has been trained by fear. Your muscle memory has been trained by anxiety. Your muscle memory has been trained by, by shame. We, we, had, we used to, Jude, Jude and I have owned four dogs in our lives. Uh, the third one, is that right? Or the, you don't know what I'm going to say, so I'm looking at you. Is that right? I don't know. I can't read your mind. Never have been. Okay, no. Uh, third one was a, a purebred beagle. Stupidest dog that we have ever had in our lives, right? Had three brilliant dogs, one bonehead, drop-dead, stupid dog, right? This dog literally ate itself to death. True story. Shrubbery, weeds, garden implements, children's toys, Nom, 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 nom. Anyway, so that was that dog. And, and when we, whenever we called that dog uh, to, to just, name was Ginger, called call the, call the dog, the dog would, would do the beagle thing. You know what I mean? It would flare out its, it would flare out its, its ears and it would kind of, and then it would kind of, and it would wee on all, whittle all, uh, piddle all, yeah, just a line of wet. You, you know what I'm saying? Now, why? Because somewhere that dog previously owned had been trained in the muscle memory of fear. We do exactly that. And Jesus says, you got you to gotta relearn that. You're not built for that. So, what do you do? You take my yoke, my teaching my way of life, my way to live your life if I were you. Take that, I'll teach you how to live in a way in which you can flourish. Now, please notice, this is not about self-assertion. This is not about aggression. This is not about the ways that you have learned to get by in the world. Why? Because I'm meek. I'm gentle. If you don't want to learn gentle, knock yourself out because that's exactly what you will do. If you don't want to learn humble, if you don't want to learn gentle, if you don't want to learn presence that is powerful without assertion of power, you're not going to learn your life from me. But if that sounds good to you, if you've been made weary and worn and sad and beat up by the systems of self-assertion, come to me and I'll teach you how to be yourself in a way that is referential to dependence on God. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Learn what from me? Learn your life from me. The goal, and you know the image of the yoke of oxen, so the, the, the younger oxen would be paired with a mature ox. We've looked at this passage before, so I'm going to snapshot this real quickly. A younger ox would be paired with a, a, an older, stronger, more mature ox, and it would literally train by 
by connection the younger to walk in the steps of the older. But it's still the younger doing the walking. Jesus is not going to empower your crazy. You'll notice it's not, I'll take your yoke on me. He doesn't say that. He says, I want you to put down your yoke. It's not ended up well for you. And then take my way of life. Take my yoke on you. Learn how to live your life as I would live it if I were you. And what will you find is the outcome? Rest. That soul calm from which you can live the entirety of your life in liberty and joy and freedom and love without anxiety. Does that sound good? So that requires us not simply to come to Jesus and receive rest. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Jesus. It requires us now, having received rest, to learn a different way of being married, to learn a different way of being a medical student, student in school, to learn a different way of being a musician, to learn a different way of being a son or a daughter, a friend, boyfriend, girlfriend. Do you see? Because otherwise, the muscle memory will drag us back into self-destructive, shameful, fearful behavior. So we need to relearn all of those patterns. Otherwise, we're going to be cowering and whittling on our way. Okay? So that's Jesus' uh, uh, first invitation to us. And, it, and it's critical that we realize he will not empower self-destruction. So again, having given us rest, it's not a pull-off so you can be refueled and continue on your way to self-destruction. He's not going to do that. That, by the way, is why Jesus is not blessing some of you when you ask for stuff. Because all you want is to ameliorate the consequences of self-destructive behavior. He's not going to do that. He's going to let you crash against that wall in his mercy so that you learn, this is not what I want to be doing. Because some of us need to learn by crashing against the wall. Amen? At least we know people like that. And this is clearly for them. So, his yoke is easy, his burden is light, and this is, by the way, in comparison. Jesus is not saying it's going to be easy to follow me. He's saying, compared to any other way that you have of living, this will be easy for you. You will relearn. You will relearn because it actually works. Once you get into the rhythm of healthy behavior, it becomes so natural, much more, uh, because that's what you were built for in the first place, much more natural than the self-destructive behaviors that we've trained ourselves to be in that natural uh, feel now. So what do we do? Uh, Paul uh, takes uh, this and gives this advice to Timothy. He says, go ahead on to the, to the next one. Uh, train yourself to be godly then. Uh, for physical training, is of some value, but godliness has value for all things. It holds promise both for the present life and the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Please notice here, the emphasis is not try to be godly. It is train yourself to be godly. The Greek word in behind here is um, uh, the gymnasium. So get to the gym of the spirit. Be as diligent at soul shaping as others are at CrossFit. Right? I know. <laughs> I've heard a rumor. I've heard a rumor. I have no idea. Um, 
So, so, so physical training, he says, is of some value, right? But it's not of eternal value, right? Take care of the horse you've been given to ride. But now ride that horse to care for the soul that will never die. Why? Train yourself. By the way, again, I want to distinguish on this. Sorry, I'm snapshotting this really quickly, but I, I think it's important that we think of the distinction between training and trying. You with me? Because we try really, really hard. The problem is that trying really, really hard is useless if you have not broken the thing down into discrete bits to learn. I, I, I play the piano. It, I, cannot, I can sight read fairly well. I can't play very well by ear. If I sit down to play a score of Tchaikovsky, it does not matter how hard I try, I'm not going to make music. But if I break it down, if I slow it down to half and three-quarter speed, if I, if I work out the muscle memory of the scales and of the notes, over time, not simply by trying harder, but by training harder, I will be able to play with increasing dexterity Tchaikovsky. It's the same thing with, we've used illustrations with athletes and, and, and sports figures, right? If you have to think about where you're going to be when the football arrives, you won't be there. You have to train your body to be where you are without thinking about it, so when the ball arrives, you are there too, right? Or the dancer, if you watch, if you watch Dancing with the Stars which as it turns out is my wife's love language. So there we go. So, so we're there, we're, we're, we're watching this, right? And I'm watching these people and they've got a guy on this season that is blind. Excuse me, that is, this, this week was made blind with a blindfold, but he's deaf. Can't hear the music. How in the world do you learn how to dance with such amazing dexterity without being able to hear the music? Muscle memory. Training, sensitivity to his partner's touch, an awareness of the spaces in which he occupies. And this week, they put a blindfold on him. It was stunningly beautiful. That's us, guys. You're not going to learn how to do that by trying really hard. Let's put on a rumba and go for it. You're going to learn that by saying, all right, see, 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 see. Right? Step at a time, a bit at a time, scale at a time, a hit at a time, over and over and over again. Malcolm Gladwell says 10,000 times until it finally has anchored at the soul. You see? So this is the strategy that Jesus invites us into through his, his uh, friend Paul. He cooperates because it's not us who produces that life change. It's the Holy Spirit. So get to the gym of the Spirit. Let him train you in the exercises that are useful and helpful for you. Everybody's journey in spiritual disciplines will be slightly different. There's some baseline ones that we'll talk about, one of which I'll talk about in a few minutes but some baseline ones that I'll talk about, but the rest are kind of like appropriate to you. What is it that's necessary to help you become yourself? Because that's the goal here. 
To become like Christ or to become yourself are the same thing. The more like Christ you are, the more fully yourself you will be. The more fully yourself you become, the more like Christ you will be. So this is the strategy. This is the, the, the cooperation that we lean into. We push hard against fear and shame and guilt and sin. Sometimes you have to deliberately choose against your personal inclinations because you know they will end you up wrong. You have to fly blind paying attention to the instruments in the cockpit, even though your gut will tell you you're headed wrong. Your gut has to be retrained. Otherwise, it will end you up flying into a mountain thinking you're going up. Do, do you see what we're after here? So, uh, Jesus um, is, of course, the expert in this kind of life. So, when he calls us, notice what happens. This is, this is just one snapshot, Mark chapter 3, or one rather, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Remember, this is just after he has called them. Follow me and I will help you to become other than you are, fishers of men. I'll help you to do that. I'll train you in the doing of that. So one of the early things that he does, having healed people and so on and so forth, really impressive, nothing that is within our capability apart from having been trained into a new way of life. So notice the very first thing he starts to train them into, by behavior not by speaking. Jesus doesn't say, guys, get your notebooks out. I want to teach you how to pray. He says nothing. But himself gets up a great while before it's day, goes to a lonely place and prays. They have to come and find him. And what is he doing when he arrives, when they arrive? He's praying. And they start to make the connection between this behavior of Jesus. Remember, he's their rabbi. He's, they've taken his way of life, his teaching upon them. They're starting to make a connection between what he does here and how he is able to do what he does in the public sphere. He spends boatloads of time in the private prayer conversation with the Father so that when he is in a public sphere, he has a resource, a well, a reservoir to draw from in that environment. He is training his muscle memory of devotional relationship, dependence on the Father, so that when he steps into the public sphere, he has things to say, he knows what to do. Do you see? I'm thinking that most of Jesus praying, and we'll get this affirmed for us here in a minute, was not about God's blessing what he was going to do that day. I think most of his conversation was about, Father, what are we doing today? Do you feel the difference? As I go into work today, as I punch the clock, as I stand at the factory floor, as I serve customers, as I draw a shot at the, at the, at the espresso bar, what are we doing today? What are you up to today? How can I partner with you in what you're doing? Do you, do you see what that, do you see what, now, do you feel the shift here? Prayer then is not fundamentally about getting things done. Prayer is about becoming a certain kind of people, person through whom the Holy Spirit can accomplish his purposes. Very, very different, right? 
So prayer is a spiritual discipline involves, how many of you can get up a great while before it's yet day and go to a lonely place and pray? How many of you can do that? Really hard. But Jesus said, trust me on this one. My yoke is easy compared to any other way you've got of negotiating life. This is what he's talking about. Learn your life from me. I get up before dawn and I go to a lonely place and pray. So that might not be the precision, but let's try that for a while before you make a decision that it doesn't work. G.K. Chesterton says Christianity, it's not the problem. It's not that it has been thought, um, it, that it's been tried and not work. It's that it has been thought difficult and left untried. Bang on. Yes, it's hard to get up a great while before it's dawn and go to a lonely place to pray. Yes, that's hard. But if that will help me retrain the muscle memory of my soul away from self-destruction, I'm thinking it might be worth getting to the gym that early. I'm thinking it might be worth showing up to learn the scales, to learn the dance steps of cooperation with the Spirit, to learn the drills, the wind sprints that train me into capacity for partnership. And that's what Jesus invites us to. So impressed by their observation of Jesus' behavior that it is not long before they ask him to teach them how to pray. They see a difference between the way that he is praying and the way that other rabbis are praying or other religious leaders are praying. Teach us how to pray. And Jesus says, cool, let's do this. And you know what he teaches them. Look at it here in Matthew chapter 6. We've spent time on this before, so we're going to do it. Matthew 6, if you can, please. When you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites. They love to stand and pray on the in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they can be seen by men. Truly, I say to you, because that's what they're after, they have their reward. So the first thing Jesus wants to say to us about prayer is what? It's not performance art. It's not for show. This isn't about being thought to be a good prayer. So that's the first thing that's off the table. You don't do spiritual disciplines because you are spiritual. You do them because you want to be. Okay? So that's the first. Then the next thing he says, when you pray... Go into your inner room. Close your door. Pray to your father who is in secret, and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Uh, this, as Jesus simply saying, the nature of prayer between you and the, please notice, you and the father. So this is not a mechanistic, economic universe we're participating in. This is a family conversation into which we enter. This is a relationship of loving dependency. Do you see what he's doing here? Just subtly, right? And he says, when you, when you pray, don't be doing this for show. Don't be, instead, go to that, go to the family room. What he's after here is this, this inner room, the, 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 not, not the courtyard of the, of the homes in first century Palestine where we would entertain guests, where people walking past could participate in the conversation in the open courtyard or, courtyard or patio. Instead, we're going to retreat into the family rooms. Maybe for you growing up, it was the living room. In my home, it was not. That was formal. 
But in my home, if, if family was the kitchen. So go to the kitchen of the soul. Go, go, go to that private place where just the family gathers. That's what he's after. And your father, who will meet with you in that private place, in that secret place, in that family place, he knows how to get stuff done. So engage in relationship. Please notice, at that table, you will never hear fear or shame or anger or bitterness or resentment spoken against you. Jesus does not come with tweezers to pick out the self-destruction. He comes with a flood of love to wash it away. Imagine, if you will, the image I'm getting here is of if you have something caught in your eye. There's two ways to get it out. You can get in there with your big meat hook tweezers. You'll get it out, but there won't be much eye left. Or you can flood it out. Jesus trusts the flooding of love to reorient our souls to health and wholeness away from shame and guilt. Do you see what he's doing here and fear? So when you do that, go to that secret place. And then, uh, on the other hand, don't be, where am I going? Yeah, uh, when you are praying, don't use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles here, euphemistic for, for people who aren't in fundamental relationship with the Father. Don't don't, don't use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do. They suppose that they will be heard for their many religious words. Don't be like them. Your father knows what you need before you ask him. What? I thought prayer was about getting stuff from the father. No, your father already knows what you need. Prayer is not first about getting stuff done. It's not getting prayers answered. In fact, as you mature, you will discover you get fewer, sometimes you will discover you get fewer prayers answered. Why? Because he's training you away from prayer as a mechanistic exercise of outcomes and towards prayer as a relational conversation with friend and father. That's what happens. Now, the outcome of that is you get to participate in amazing kingdom work some of which will result in pre people being healed. Some of which will result in people coming to salvation and faith. Do you see? But, but we can't get there until we go through the middle of surrendering outcomes and learn relationship. So that's what the discipline of prayer begins to train us in, begins to teach us in. And he says here as a, as a foundation on this, don't think God is impressed with your flowery religious language that you say to him ad nauseum. He's not. God doesn't write stuff down when you talk. <laughs> he's, not, he's not keeping track of how many times you father God him to death. Speaking to a particular paranoia of mine. But do, do you know what I mean? Because uh, sometimes I think that we, we learn a rhythm of prayer. We learn a language. We, re, we learn a script of prayer. And then think it's the script that's magic. No, 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 no. You've got you to learn an alphabet. You've got to learn your ABCs. You've got to learn how to get going. But then you want to take the training wheels off and have real conversation. 
I mean, if you've tried to have a conversation with a two or three year old who's just kind of learning into sentences, but knows only a few words, you'll know how frustrating it must be to God at some level when his 35 year old child continues to speak in three year old half sentences, insisting this must be the way to communicate. Come on, grow up. Right? No, when we're, when we're three, that's cool. Right? He accommodates himself. This is why God answers the prayers of beginners more often than he does. Yeah? If you, in fact, if you need stuff done right away, ask a new Christian to pray. That's the fastest way to get outcomes. Right? Anybody else found that? But about six, eight, 12 months in, you discover not so much anymore. Why? Because it's like, no, come on. He accommodates himself to that three-year-old child walking across. You don't, you don't drag the boy across the thing because he's only three. You would slow yourself down. But if, if you're 33, you're still, come on. So he's inviting us in to moving away from meaningless repetition into real relationship with the Father. And then he does this. When you pray now, this is the... This is the gist of the conversation, and you know the story, right? Go ahead, the next one, if you would. Pray this way. Our Father, relational, please notice it's our Father. Oh, prayer isn't about me and getting my agenda. Prayer is about all of us joining under relational connection to the Father. And what do we long for more than anything else? We want your kingdom to come. So there's this wonderful tension and antinomy, it's called, between two opposites that can't both be true but are both true. God is almighty and sovereign and powerful, king and creator of the universe. He is my intimate friend who knows the hairs on my head, numbers them. They are each serialized. Both are true. So he is our father who is in the heavens, whose name we want to be held in high regard, whose kingdom we want to come. So both are true. He is our father and we want his kingdom to come. Please notice, not about outcomes. Sometimes his kingdom comes through pain, does it not? Sometimes his kingdom comes through disappointment, does it not? Sometimes kingdom comes through unanswered prayer, does it not? If Jesus' prayers were not answered with a no, there would have been no cross. A no is an answer to prayer just like a yes is. When the real heart outcome is not the discrete moment, but the kingdom. Do you see what he's doing here? This is muscle memory of training. Because sometimes we will, we, will, we, will, we will use the muscle memory of fear and shame and resentment and bitterness and negotiated settlements, right? We will use those muscle memories and baptize them, praying those outcomes. No, 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 no. You've got to learn a different way to pray. You've got to be trained away from the muscle memory of shame, muscle memory of fear. So we're going to start with somebody who's way, way bigger than you. 
and we're going to say, not my kingdom, not my will, but your kingdom and your will. This is why trying isn't good enough in the long term. We need to train into this. For some of us, this will take decades. So deeply rooted are the lies that we have believed to be true. That's okay. He's got 10 or 15,000 years to form you to yourself. But I'm thinking he'd like us to get started tomorrow morning. Or now. So, your kingdom come, your will be done on the earth as it is in the heavens. Then he gets around to what we need, remembering your father knows what you need before you ask. So give us what we need for today. And what we most need for today is what? Next one. Forgive us our debts. As we forgive those who are indebted to us. Now, why does he do that? Because we don't want God to bless our prejudices. Well, actually, we really do. And we need to be trained away from it. Remember Anne Lamott saying, you can tell when you've created God in your own image when it turns out your God hates all the same people you do. Yeah. So if we don't learn to forgive, if we don't learn to release through forgiveness, it is a clear and sure sign that we have not yet been forgiven fully ourselves. We have not yet accepted our forgiveness yet ourselves. So he, he wants to push hard on this. Why? Because prayer is a relational discipline. It's a relational practice. We are invited into relationship. And damage between me and you damages me and the Father. Does that make sense? This is why husbands uh, and wives are to care for one another gently. Why? So that your prayers are not hindered. Do you see? This is why if I see something, if I'm aware of something that I have between myself and a brother, or, bro, or I'm aware that she has got something against me, what do I do? I leave my worship at the altar and I go and make it right as best I can. Because damage between us is damage between us. So this spiritual discipline, you can feel. Anybody else feeling the yoke chafe a little bit? Whoa, this isn't, this isn't, whoa, this is hard. Yeah, but it's easy compared to the way you're negotiating life, unless fear, shame, and, and unhappiness is your outcome. If that's your aspirational goal, keep climbing that ladder. You will discover it's against the wrong building. And when you do, it'll be too late. I'll give you a rest. Now learn from me. And then he says, don't lead us into temptation. Do you know what kinds of temptation? We always think of the big hot sins. No, no, no. The ones that are most damaging are the sins of self-reliance. The sins of independence. The sins that say, thanks, I'll take it from here. I want to have a dependent relationship on the Father so that I can have an interdependent relationship with you so that together we can rejoice when his kingdom comes in answer to our prayers. Oh, by the way, when your soul is shaped this way in partnership with the Spirit, 
That's what it looks like when the kingdom comes. And now you can be trusted to be useful to accomplish outcomes in the world. With me? So that's where we're going to be over the next few weeks. Thinking about the patterns, the practices, the behaviors, the exercises, the disciplines that will shape our spirit into cooperative capacity for the work of the kingdom. Thank you for listening to the Garden Church Podcast. For more information about the Garden Church, visit thegardenlb.org.